listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. Well, certainly news from around the world, news around the world is sharing the stories of what's happening in Israel with Hamas and Israel and certainly troubling news. And there are many perspectives on that and mm-hmm. what's happening there. We have, I think, a very valuable personal perspective on it we'll share with you in just a moment. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting The Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. Joining us this morning, Pastor Nabil Noor. He's a Palestinian Christian from Nazareth. He serves Trinity Lutheran Church in Hartford, South Dakota. He's also fourth vice president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Pastor Noor, welcome back to the Coffee Hour. Good morning to you, and I will say sabah al-khair in my mother tongue. That is good morning to all of you who are listening. It's an honor and privilege to be with you on this cool day in South Dakota. But I pray that your hearts are warmed by the love of Jesus. Well, we are very grateful for our time with you this morning and looking forward to learning about what's happening in Israel today through the lens of someone who who grew up in Israel as a Palestinian Christian. So tell us a little bit more about your heritage. What does it mean to be a Palestinian Christian living in Nazareth? Well, it's an interesting thing. When I grew up, you know, I grew up in that country, in that culture. At that time, you remember, I will be 68 this coming Sunday. So we're talking about almost 70 years ago. Life was slightly different than what it is today. Nazareth was primarily all Christian people. We had few Muslims, but not very many. Today, it's just about split even, maybe even a little bit more Muslims than there are Christians in there. And the animosity wasn't that bad. There was a lot of tension between the people, but not, not to the point of the violence that you are seeing today being displayed on the screen, on the streets, and in the hearts of people. So when I grew up, I grew up in a Christian home. I was a Catholic, raised as a Catholic, attended Catholic parochial school, attended Catholic school and churches. But I wasn't really, I was a Christian, but in name only, if I may say that. I knew the basic, but I really didn't know the salvation story. I didn't know the gift of grace. I didn't know that my Savior, you know, gave his all. Because as a Catholic, we had to do marriage, right, to earn God's favor. You had to please God in the things you did. It was Jesus plus. It wasn't just Jesus only. And in that parameter, I didn't see any different because I couldn't tell the distinction between there and now. Now my eyes are open. I know the scripture. I'm a theologian. I have been taught. I read what Luther said. I read what the Pope have said. I read what the councils have said. And in all of them, there's two major distinctions. What you need to do to please God, that's number one. And the other distinction is what God has done for you to save you. And that's a humongous difference between theologians in understanding God sent his only son to be the propitiation, that is the covering, what we call Yom Kippur in Hebrew, to... uh, cover us from every calamity and the one and for all sacrifice through his death on Calvary's cross. But I did not know that. 
I knew I was a Christian. I went to church Christmas, Easter, uh, Palm Sunday, or when there was a wedding or an engagement. But I really was not swimming in the ocean of God's grace. I, that wasn't for me. That was for somebody else, for the priest or the nuns or anybody else. Mm-hmm. So in my home, you know, we simply prayed Ism Allah in the name of God and we ate. Wherever we traveled, we made the sign of the cross and we kept on going. But there wasn't that connectedness to the grace, to the gospel. I want my God to be my refuge and strength. That wasn't there. Only when I came here, through the aid of my wife, who happened to be a cradle Lutheran, and she said, this is the church we're going to go to. I said, I will try to live with your church. And here I am. I'm a pastor only by God's grace. So how are you perceived as an Arab Palestinian Christian growing up in Israel? How did, how did that shape your childhood growing up? You know, a lot of my friends were the same. So there was mm-hmm. no difference. The only thing I do remember when we lived in Haifa, because I was born in Nazareth, lived there for three years, then we moved to Haifa. And while I was going to parochial school, I remember that so vividly, just like it happened yesterday. I was 12, maybe just about 13. I was wearing a cross, which I actually have with me right now, and it was on the outside. And here is Jewish young lady who comes by, literally spits on my face and called me a filthy Arab. And then she proceeded to say, filthy Christian. So that's the antagonist that I experienced from the perspective of Christianity. I knew there was a much difference between us and the Orthodox Jews, the Hasidic Jews that we see today. But I didn't experience a lot of hatred. What I did experience is the challenge the country endured because of the terrorists. Remember, I was born in 55 at age 15 and 16, I was a young man, and so it was not uncommon for the police to pull me over to look over my identity. And then when I would come to the country, then I was searched in more ways than should be done. I was strip searched. They would empty every article of my luggage. And I mean every article. We complain here when the TSA opens the luggage for you and kind of go through this. And then they ask you, well, can I look in there? Uh-uh. They opened it. They went through it, emptied every box I had closed, every bag, every shirt, every pocket. They went on the inside, looked inside, ran it through machinery. That's how it was. But I also understand from their perspective now, I didn't, I didn't like it then, is that they did it for heightened security. And so to, to respond to your question, Sarah, how did I feel? I grew a normal life. I didn't experience the animosity because in Haifa, where I grew up, it's the best place in all of Israel because all the three religious people live together. Muslims, Jews, and Arab Christians. I, sh- I need to make the distinction because most people lump us all into the Arabs. I am an Arab, but I'm also a follower of Jesus, okay? I live by grace, not by fear. 
I live through his merits. And so I find joy in stating that, and that brings comfort to me. I have classmates who were Muslims. There was no animosity between us. We played soccer. We went to their home. They came to ours. But there was no intermarriage in that time. And if you did intermarry, boy, that was a taboo. I also lived in a neighborhood where there was only 10,000 uh, Jewish people. Most of my neighborhoods were friends of mine. We played soccer together. They came to my house for coffee. I went to their home. We did all sorts of things. So we did not have that animosity. Only when the war started, like I went through the 1967-day war, and then I just come to this country in 1973, but I had gone back home, and boy, things really changed big term, big, big time. And even now, there's more hostility that you see, and it's on both sides, both the Jewish and the Muslims, and we are caught right dead in the middle. Hmm. Before we continue further into the, the topic of the conflict, uh, since you described the three different communities or cultures that, that you were um, living among, what different languages were spoken in, the, in your childhood? What languages did you learn? Okay, so I was fluent in both Arabic and Hebrew. As a matter of fact, when I was in the fourth grade, we had a, a Jewish teacher. And she would not believe that I was not a Jew. I, I spoke Hebrew that well. She says, you can't. I says, ma'am, I live among Jews. I read the Hebrew newspaper, Yidaot. And um, so my mother tongue is Arabic. And my country's tongue is Hebrew. So I spoke those simultaneously. And I still do today. Even when I go back and I talk to my family, I will speak in Arabic primarily, but there are those certain words that we will say in Hebrew. On the other hand, you speak to a, a Jewish person, they will speak with me in Hebrew, but there are certain words they will use in Arabic. So it goes back and forth. So those two languages, mother tongue is Arabic, country's tongue is Hebrew, and I'm fluent in both of them. So that's one of the great blessings to go to the seminary with Hebrew background, because I do know the Hebrew very, very well. <laughs> I'm certain that would be very useful. We're going to learn more about the, the history of this conflict and where, how it's progressed to where it is today in just a moment. We're talking with Pastor Nabil Noor from Trinity Lutheran Church in Hartford, South Dakota. We'll continue the conversation in just a moment right here on The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon.
Welcome back to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. Today we're talking with Pastor Nabil Noor, a Palestinian Christian from Nazareth. He serves Trinity Lutheran Church in Hartford, South Dakota. He's fourth vice president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, gaining his perspective on the conflict and the war happening in Israel with Hamas. Uh, Pastor, tell us uh, about the the history of this conflict, the history of this war. Where do you see it beginning? Well, let me first share the big three C's to help us grasp the total picture. And the three C's are context is king, culture is queen, and Christ is the center. So in the context of all of this that's going on, we have to remember this is nothing new that's going on. It's been going on for at least 4,500 years. We got to go all the way back to the time of the patriarch Abraham or Abraham or in Arabic, Ibrahim. And we look at the life of Abraham. God had promised him when he was 75 that he's going to give him his son. And through this son, a redeemer will come. And he had given Abraham seven promises. And I'm going to only focus on one. I have it in my Bible study, but I'm going to focus on one for the sake of time is that all the nations of the world will be blessed through you. And we can follow Abraham's line, and we will see that Jesus is truly the son of Abraham. And you can do that in the genealogy of Matthew chapter 1 the four, through 18. Abraham and Sarah did not wait for God's promise to be, to be fulfilled. So they got involved by saying, Hey, let's do this. I can't get pregnant now. Uh, why don't you go and sleep with my maid? And of course, you know, he's a man. So he says, hey, my wife is giving me permission. I'm going to go and do this. And um, he does. And whammo, as soon as that happens, one night stand, she gets pregnant and trouble begins to happen. When you go away from God's word, you mess with him, you have trouble and the trouble have not stopped. Abraham and Hagar, the slave, have a son. They call him Ishmael, which means God heard me. And later on, God fulfilled the promise to Sarah and gave her a son in her old age. And everybody laughed. And they called him Yitzhak or Isaac or Ishak in Arabic, which means laughter. Those two sons are the culprit for all of the issues going on. Interestingly enough, if you study scripture very well, Ishmael has 12 sons. Isaac only has two, Jacob and Esau, but Jacob has 12. And he's from the line as one of the patriarchs. He has 12 sons that become the tribes and the Jewish leaders. Ishmael has 12 sons and they become the tribes of the Muslims or the Arabs at that time. And of course, until 1960, where Muhammad comes upon the scene and... Uh, a little bit later, not to 560, a little bit later, but it, in the 6th century, Muhammad is born and then he, he produces a new religion, which is really demonic per se. And in that religion, he says that a demon appeared to him and told him that he should bring in a new religion. And the, you know, the Quran, excuse me, uh, people of the book have misconstrued the scripture. It's not true. And interestingly enough, what they do with that is they claim that God took, excuse me, 
that God told Abraham to take his son Ishmael to sacrifice him. And Ishmael was a willing participant in this because he said to his father, please do this to keep God's word and obey the commandments. So they literally twist around Genesis 22. Rather than the son of the free, Isaac is taken to the mountain. They talk about Ishmael. And I should also add, Brother Andrew and Sister Sarah, this. The conflict, even though it begins with people, but really stems out of the heart. In Genesis chapter 6, before the flood, God literally is lamenting the state of humanity. And he says, everything that you have seen is nothing but wicked. And then a little bit later on, he uses a word that we hear often, the word Hamas, which literally means violence, wickedness, unrighteousness, unwholesomeness. Even though the name of Hamas group in the West Bank, or specifically in the Gaza Strip, is not taken from that, but it has the same basic ideology. And so they want violence. They want to destruct. Why? Because it comes out of the heart. And so this problem will never be solved. Anybody that tells you, whether it's Biden, Trump, or Obama, or Benjamin Netanyahu, we call him Bibi, or whoever it may be, will not be able to really bring peace unless, unless, and I make this as big as I can, unless they bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. Mm-hmm. Here is the reason. Here is the reason, if I may. Because the, the Quran, as well as the Old Testament, or the Hebrew Scriptures, I like to call it, teaches an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. So, Andrew, you kill my son. I'm going to come and kill your son. And it's a vicious cycle. It will never end. Unless you know and taste forgiveness, unless you know the grace of God, unless you hear and heed the words of the Savior who says, turn sheep, there will never be peace. And here's another thing that we should really highlight. People are putting their hopes in a piece of property, okay, rather than in the word of the living God. What you'd also say, what is not happening in Israel, okay? We have been talking what is happening, but we should also take another look at it from what is not happening. What the evangelicals are teaching that Israel is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, that is a fallacy. Absolutely not. 1948, it just happens to be on the map, but it does not mean those are the followers of Jesus. When God spoke about Israel of old, he used them to be a beacon of light. But when they did not do so, God sent his son. If you remember what it says in Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, I will call my son out of Egypt. So Jesus becomes the light of the world. Jesus becomes hope of the nations. Jesus becomes the Savior who is willing to sacrifice his life on the wooden beams of the cross for the salvation of all people. And notice 
One of the great verses we have in Scripture is from John 3.16, For God so loved the world. The Greek word for the world is the cosmos. It doesn't say just the Jewish people. It doesn't just say the Muslim people. It doesn't say just the Arab people. It doesn't say Norwegians or Germans, but he's talking about the whole wide world. And so the sacrificial love of Jesus for sinners like you and me, and when he can cry out from the cross, Father, forgive them, who am I not to forgive somebody who has hurt me? Let's talk about land a little bit more. You brought this up that that there's this distinction about the Israel, the nation state that that we have now since 1948 and the Israel of the scriptures. And we talked about this a little bit with Dr. Reed Lessing in a, in a recent episode. Why is it important for us to really understand that difference between the Israel that we read about in scripture and the nation state that, that exists now? Well, Reed and I are very dear friends and I know what you guys are talking about because I talked to him about the same subject. The reason for that, the property that we call the promised land was given to the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to his descendants. But what we have today is not the true Israel, as was spoken of, of the Old Testament. This is not truly what is of the utmost importance The promised land is found not in a piece of dirt, but in the one and only one, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus, the anointed one. It is, he is the promised land because he promises, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come and get you. Anybody who's putting their focus on a piece of property is misconstrued, misguided, mistaken, misunderstanding the scripture. We are not millennialists. We are people who follow the teachings of Jesus at its fullest with all of its beauty. And so we take it to heart when he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. The promised land is not in Israel. The promised land is where we get to spend eternity without death, without worship, without bloodshed, without war or anger or hatred or mourning or with him in the paradise that he has given to us. That's the important part of it. And unless we misunderstand that, we are going to be so fearful and we put our hope in a piece of property rather than the psalm for this coming Sunday God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. This is our hope. This is our comfort. This is our encouragement, not in the land, but in the living Christ who defeated death, defeated our enemies, and has opened the gates of heaven for us to enter with him and live with him eternally. And what comfort, what joy, what a blessing to know and to experience. Help us understand the misunderstanding about the land, how each party, what their position is about the land that has, that, that's really at the height of this conflict right now. Well, both Muslim and both Jewish people 
think the promise was for them. Remember, I talked about Ishmael. And so they follow him and they say, God gave this promise to Ishmael. Thus, the land belongs to us. And the Jewish people say, no, this land belongs to us because God gave it to the father, Isaac. So both are misunderstanding. Did God promise Isaac and Jacob? Yes, he did. Can we negate the promise? Absolutely not. But that was in the past. It is no longer now the property that we are talking about. People, a lot of the evangelical, Presbyterian, Baptist, put their focus on the land rather than the person who created and made the land. That's the big difference. And unless you grasp that, you're going to lose focus of what it is. And many of the evangelicals, which we hear quite a bit on television today in the media, they're trying to say, well, we got to protect our greatest ally. Fine, do that. I'm not asking don't do it. I want you to protect Israel because it's surrounded by 23 Muslim Arab countries, right? But that's not the reason why we should do it. We should do it out of love for the gospel. That's what should motivate us not to preserve a piece of property, but we should also, at the same token, share the love of Jesus with the Muslims so that they too may have the privilege to bow before the throne of grace and come to the knowledge of what peace literally is. Mm-hmm. So then what does this conflict present for an Arab-Palestinian Christian from Israel living in the U.S. now? Oh, thank you. I'm living in the middle. Really, I'm stuck in the middle. Because if I take the Jewish side, mm-hmm. which a little bit more easy to swallow to live under them rather than under the Muslim, because the Muslims, we are treated as third-class citizens, you either have to pay the jaza or convert to Islam, you know. So the Jewish people are not like that. They're more sophisticated, they're more educated, and they're more palatable to live with. If you ask any Palestinian Christians, where would you rather live? Under the Islamic rule and reign or under the Jewish people? We, we would all say emphatically under the Jewish. Why? Because they don't go out specifically to harm you. That's not their goal. Whereas on the Muslim side, they, their reason is to wipe you out of the face of the earth. Like Hamas, for example. Like Iran. Like Iraq before Saddam Hussein. They, in their chartered message, is to destroy Israel. They, the Arabic word is to literally obliterate the, the people of Israel and wipe them out of the face of the sea. That's their goal. For me, on the other hand, my goal is not destruction of property or people. My joy in life is to share with these people the love of Jesus. Why do I want to say this? Why, do I, why is that so important for me? Because if you look at all of the people who have died so far since October the 7th, this is just a small number, but roughly 1,400 innocent people who were butchered in Israel on October the 7th. On the other hand, we are approaching almost four to 5,000. We don't know. And not all of them are Hamas people. Some are innocent bystanders who are forced by Hamas to stand in the line, and they are dying. 
Here is the saddest thing of all of these things. Neither the Jews nor the Muslims know the saving work of Jesus Christ. And without Jesus, there is no hope. Without Jesus, there is no help. Without Jesus, there is no heaven. This is the sad part. This is really, this breaks my heart more than the destruction of property. Is it bad? Yes. Loss of life, grandma, grandchildren, that's bad. But what about the eternal soul that you don't know? That's what burns my heart and breaks me. Mm. Our only hope is Jesus, the hope of the world. Yep. Our guest today, Pastor Nabil Noor, serving Trinity Lutheran Church in Hartford, South Dakota, fourth vice president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Pastor Noor, thank you so much for being our guest. I should say, shukran. Laafu, laafu. Thank you so much. I'm so honored. I just pray. I really pray. If there's one thing that I encourage our listeners is to pray that they may know Jesus, specifically the people where I grew up in the old country of my home, that they would know Jesus as the Lord and Savior. That's my biggest prayer. Please continue to pray. Exhort people when they ask you, what can we do? Pray. That's what we are privileged to do. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support The Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere.